Good morning, Flint Central. Oh, it's so good to be here. I'm excited to be here in Pastor Rob's stead on today. And so he allowed me on today to continue on with this series called Wonder Women. I am enjoying this series. It's awesome. It's amazing. I'm learning so much, and I am truly inspired by all the women of the Bible and the courage and the determination that they showed. The book of Ruth is a very small book in the Bible. It's only four chapters, but packed into those four chapters is a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of wisdom to share with us. So let's dive in. It's only four chapters, as I said, but it, it has so much packed into it, we can't even cover it all on today. So today we're going to just look at chapter one of Ruth. And I encourage you, when you go home, to read chapter one through four. It's a very inspiring story. It will encourage you, and God will speak to your heart through the words that are written there. But since I am a storyteller, I'm not going to read the story in Ruth chapter one. I'm going to just tell you the story. And so I want you to put on your, like a kindergarten teacher would say, put on your thinking caps, put on your imagination hat, and just maybe close your eyes and picture the story that I'm about to tell about Ruth, chapter 1. Picture this. It was Bethlehem in a time during the judges. This was a time after God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. He had brought them through the wilderness and into the promised land. And this is a time that we find that the people have fallen away from God. They have chosen to do whatever they saw as right in their own eyes. Now you would think that because of all they had been through, all that God had done for them, that they would be steadfast and committed to following after God. But we find that once again, they've fallen away. And it's brought trouble on them. And so there's times when they are uh, being oppressed by other people and God will raise up a judge to deliver them and to bring them back. And they would follow him for a while and then they fall off again. So it was a turbulent time, lots of ups and downs. And it was a dark time. It was not a time where the people of God were doing the things that God had set before them and had called them to do. So it's during this time of Judges that Ruth's story takes place. And isn't that like God? In the middle of darkness, he always provides some light, a light for our path. And so her story is truly a light in her day, and it's a light for us in in our times on today. So the story begins with Naomi and her husband, Emelech. They are living in Bethlehem, Judah. Now, all the names in the Old Testament have a meaning, as Pastor Rob was sharing with us on last week and the weeks before. And Bethlehem has a special meaning. It means the house of bread. And Judah means praise. So Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, were living in Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise. And it was a wonderful place. They had never imagined that they would ever leave this beautiful place. Things were going well for them. They had a good life. 
They had two children, two sons, and they were raising them up, and they were just about on the cusp of becoming men. When out of nowhere, a famine struck the land. All the crops in the fields dried up. Spring came and there was no rain. Summer came and there was no rain. The ground became hard and parched and dusty. Nothing grew. Fall came and there was still no rain. There was no grass for the crops and the animals, for the animals to eat. There was no vegetation. There was no grain to make into bread for the people to eat. And they were on the brink of starvation. So about this time, Naomi and her husband began to consider their options. It looked bleak. They looked, it looked as though they would have to leave their homeland, this promised land. And so at that point, Elimelech comes up with a, an odd proposition. He says, let's go to Moab. Hmm. Moab. If you know anything about Moab, the Hebrews, the Israelites had nothing to do with the Moabites. They had So it was odd that he would say, let's go to Moab, that you would go to your enemy seeking help. How odd. But then we think about what does Elimelech mean? What does his name mean? It means my God is king. During that time, there was no king in the land. But this man's name says, my God is king. So some scholars say that he was being disobedient by going to Moab because it was against their religion. It was against their teachings. It was against their tradition and their culture. But I believe just based on his name that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to go to Moab. There was something that was needed in Moab that they had to go and do someone that they had to go and get in Moab. So Naomi and her husband, they make their way to Moab. And when they get there, they find help. These enemies, these strangers, these foreigners, foreigners these people who worshipped idols and false gods, these people who they say, some say even sacrificed their own children, for some reason helped. Naomi and her husband. So they, fall, they find their way to Moab. Once they get there, the people welcome them. They help them. Not only do they give them food to eat, but they allow them to, they provide shelter. They also allow them land to work on. And once the family gets settled in, not too long after they've been there, Naomi's husband dies. No one was prepared for this, and she was stricken with grief. Hmm, but somehow she had, God had provided her with two sons who were now men, and they were able to care for her and to take care of her. And then those sons took wives. They married two Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And these women, Naomi took under her wing. She loved them. She taught them how to be good wives. She taught them how to prepare the foods that they remembered back in Bethlehem. She taught them about her God. And they lived happily together. They stayed in Moab for 10 years. 10 years went by. And then suddenly Naomi's sons, whose names were Malone and Chilion, 
they died as well. Now their names are peculiar. Malone means unhealthy or sickly. And Chilion means puny. So Naomi had these two sons. One was sickly and one was puny. (laughs) But somehow they had survived all this time. They had taken care of their mother who had become a widow. And then, almost true to their names, they passed away as well. As you can imagine, Naomi had already suffered the loss of her husband. And now her two sons... She is stricken with grief like never before. And at this point, she decides she's so depressed. She's so upset. She believes God has turned his back on her. She wants to change her name. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or joyful. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has dealt bitterly with me. But she had those two daughter-in-laws. And they stuck by her. And they said, it's going to be all right, Naomi. We'll, we'll figure out a way. We'll, we'll figure out something to do. We'll, we'll find a way. We'll take care of each other. We'll look out for each other. And so Naomi, it says in the scripture, she heard a word. Didn't say who she heard it from, but it says she heard that God was once again providing bread for his people in Bethlehem. Naomi, I believe, heard a word from the Lord, and he told her to go back home to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise. That gives us an idea of what's going to happen when they get there. God is going to meet their needs. He's going to provide bread, and then he's going to give them some reasons to praise. So they pack up their things, and all three head out on the road back to Bethlehem. All is well, they're they're making their merry way, having conversation, and suddenly Naomi stops in her tracks as if a, a thought that had never crossed her mind before pops into her head. She says, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. What am I doing? I gotta tell my daughters, my daughter in laws, what life would be like for them in Bethlehem. I don't think they really understand what is ahead down the road for us. So Naomi stopped them where they were, and she said, listen, I I shouldn't have asked you to come with me. I think it'd be best if you turn back. Go back to your mother. Go back to your father. Go back to their household, and maybe you can find husbands here in Moab, and you can have children, and you can have a a full life. But if you go with me to Bethlehem, mm, my people, they, they won't accept you there. You'll be seen as an outsider, as an enemy. You'll never find a husband to marry you because what what upstanding Hebrew would marry a Moabite woman in his own land? And you'll never have children. So I think it's best for you just, just go back. We'll have to live a life of poverty as widows in Bethlehem. And she urged them and she pleaded with them. But because of their great love for her, they... They cried and they wept, but they said, no, we're going to go with you. We don't care. We'll go with you. We're going to stand beside you. So they walked on a little further, and Naomi was just burdened. She said, no. She stopped again. No, no, no. You have to go back. Please return home to your families. I have nothing 
I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to give you. I'm an old, bitter woman. I will never marry again. I'll never have any more children. And even if I did, even if I could marry on tonight and have a son and another son, would you wait until those sons were grown men that you might have husbands again? No, that's ridiculous. You have to go back. Please, go back home to your families. And they wept aloud. They, they just wept tears because even the thought of separating from one another was too much to bear. But Orpah, she decided, you know what? Maybe Naomi is right. If I stay here, I may have a chance to start over. I've already lost my husband. I don't think I could bear being looked at as an outcast, as an enemy when I get to Bethlehem. I don't think I could bear living the rest of my days as a widow. So Orpah decided to go back. She went back home to her family, to her mother, to her father's household, and we never hear from her again. We don't know what happened to Orpah. But Ruth, on the other hand, she clung tightly to Naomi. She wouldn't let go. She continued to cling to her, and she said, no, no, I've got to stay with you. And then in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 in the scripture, Ruth makes this pledge to Naomi. She says these words. But Ruth replied, don't make me leave you, for I want to go wherever you go, and I will live where you live. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. I want to die where you die and be buried there. May the Lord do terrible things to me if I allow anything but death to separate us. With that, Naomi gave up her protest because she realized that Ruth had made up her mind. She was determined not only to follow her into Bethlehem, but also to follow Naomi's God. And not just into Bethlehem, but for the rest of her life and into eternity. So the two made their way to Bethlehem, and when they got there, it was the start of the grain, the barley harvest. That's the end of chapter one. A great story of love, faithfulness, loyalty, commitment between daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. If I had to put a title on this sermon, this text, I would call it, No Guts, No Glory. The term, No Guts, No Glory, is something that you would expect maybe athletes to use or people in the military to summon their courage at, at, a, at a seminal point in either the game or the battle. But this term, I think, applies to Ruth, especially, and to Naomi in this story. The term no guts, no glory simply means success does not come without the courage to take risk. The Collins English Dictionary says, one must take risk in order to achieve a goal. The Urban Dictionary says this, this is the perfect motto, the perfect slogan for when you arrive at a fork in the road. 
Will you choose the path of least resistance or will you choose to do the hard thing that aligns with your moral values and your beliefs? No guts, no glory. Ruth had the guts, the courage, the faith to go forward with Naomi into Bethlehem, not knowing what she would find. So let's look at that story. Reflecting back, there are four words of wisdom, four points that we can glean from these gutsy wonder women. They had courage and determination, and they had the faith to do something that they had never done before. So let's look at this. Wonder women is the title of our series, and these are two wonderful wonder women. Wonder women are first off able to do one thing. They're able to walk away. Naomi was able to walk away from Bethlehem and go into Moab, to go into the presence of her enemies, not knowing how they would receive her. Would they be attacked? Would they be run away? But they were accepted. So Naomi had the courage to walk away from where she was, following after what God had told her husband to do. And they found help in an unlikely place among their perceived enemies. And Ruth, she was also willing to walk away. She was willing to walk away from her homeland and follow Naomi back to Bethlehem, Judah, a place that she had never seen before. She was willing to leave her family, her culture, her customs, her God, and walk forward following after the God of Naomi. So wonder women are willing to walk away. There's a scripture that talks about the love that that Christians are supposed to have. And sometimes love will cause us to do things that sometimes we wouldn't ordinarily do. And so I think Ruth was inspired by love to follow Naomi into Bethlehem. And there's a scripture, John chapter 13, verses 35 34 and 35, and it says, And so I give you a new commandment. I give a new commandment to you now. Love each other just as much as I love you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Wonder women are willing to walk away because of love. Wonder women are also willing to walk wounded which is our second point that we can glean from this story. They're willing to walk wounded. It means that it took guts for Naomi and Ruth to walk while they endured the pain of grief. I think that the pain that widows go through is often overlooked in our society today, and maybe even back then, but during the Bible days, during that time when Ruth and Naomi were widows, there were um, provisions made for them. Anyone who was a farmer who owned land, they would leave the corners of their field, the edges of their field, and, and leave whatever grain, whatever was growing there, they'd leave it so that the poor and the widows could come and glean in the field. And at least, if nothing else, they'd have something to eat. And today, I, I don't know if we care for widows, if we even consider widows in the same way 
that they did at that time. They also had a provision where if there were two brothers and one brother died, the other brother would marry the widow as a way to carry on the family line and to provide for that widow who was left behind. I did some research. The U.S. Census says that there's three million widows in America today. Eleven million of those widows are women, and two million are men. Most widows live in poverty. The numbers around the world are staggering. There's 115 million widows worldwide. And like I said, most of those live in poverty. There's another stress inventory that tells us that the death of a spouse is hands down the most stressful life experience one can experience. And I also learned that widows are at greater risk for physical illness and mental illness like depression and even suicide. So widows need our care. Widows need our concern. We have to see the pain of widows and walk beside them. Ruth was willing to walk with Naomi because she too had experienced a similar pain, a similar, similar grief of losing a spouse. So she was committed to walk with Naomi wherever God would lead them. Walking while wounded is a difficult thing. If you've ever had a surgery, like I have, I've had a couple, and after your procedure is over, they're trying to control the pain and you're a little groggy, you might still be a little sleepy, they come in and they say, all right, it's time to get up. And I said, get up, get up and do what? They said, it's time to walk. You got to get up and walk. And I'm like, I'm wounded, I can't walk. I can't, I can't get up, I'm hurt, you just cut me, I, I can't walk. And they said, oh, you have to walk. Walking promotes healing, so you have to get up and walk. So these women, even though they were wounded, they were hurt, they decided to walk. And I believe God began to heal them of their grief as they walked. And we too have to be willing to walk wounded sometime in order to see what God has in store for us. Another thing, the third point about these wonderful, wonder women, they were willing to walk with God. Last week we had the example of Shifra and Pua, they were women who were willing to follow God, to walk with God wherever he led them. And they, if you remember the story, they were two Hebrew women who were midwives, and the Pharaoh had told them to kill the Hebrew babies when they were born. But they refused to obey him because they feared the Lord. And so they followed God, and God protected them and blessed them even with their own families and their own children. Coming up, we're going to be looking at Esther. She's another woman who followed God and prayerfully sought the right time to speak to the king on the behalf of her people. So to be a wonder woman, you have to be willing to walk with God even when it seems dangerous or you're afraid, even when you don't know exactly where you're going and what is going to happen to you. You have to be willing to walk with God. Wonder women are also willing to wreck some walls. They're willing to tear down the walls of division. Long before the civil rights movement or the women's rights movement, 
These women, Naomi and Ruth, they came to teach us that God is no respecter of persons. He has no part in the isms and schisms that we allow to divide us. His love is enough. If we could learn to love like God, that's all we need to overcome the walls that divide us. These two matriarchs of faith launched a countercultural ministry. Their lives preached. They preached sermons on courage and faith and reconciliation and mutual respect and the genuine care and concern for the other. They preached of agape love, of an unconditional, boundless, limitless love. These wonder women were able to, one, walk away, two, walk wounded, three, walk with God, and four, they weren't afraid to wreck some walls, to tear down the walls that divide us. So now, what about you? Each of us stands at a fork in the road. We all have those crucial moments of decision in our lives. The point in time where one choice can change everything, can change the, the whole trajectory of your life. When I said yes to God's call into ministry, that one yes changed everything. What is God calling you to do? God's love extends to everyone. It knows no limits, no boundaries, no walls. As Christians, we cannot allow the walls of racism, sexism, nationalism, classism, any ism to separate us. We have to be committed to love one another. We have to be open to hear God's voice as he calls each one of us to do his will. We have to be willing to help usher in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. There's a quote I want to share with you. It says, the act of courage is always an act of love. Love is courageous. Love seeks us out. Love always is in search of the other, the outcast, the person that's put aside. So in order to love like Christ, we have to have courage. Remember our title, No Guts, No Glory. Because Ruth and Naomi had the guts, they had the faith to follow God. They are weaved into the genealogy of Jesus. Because of their faith, because of their guts, God ended up getting all the glory. Their story is remembered to this day. And we still look to them as a light in our dark world.